Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 147. Bally, we're only 100 episodes away from our fabled favourite number in the world, 247. 247. Uh, well, which is the greatest number of all time, as we all know. I think we have explained before what yeah, that, probably. that tale is, but I think we should maybe save that tale next time for episode 247. <laughs> why sure, yeah. Why don't we, we wait till then? Yeah, I mean, you have to wait uh, four years, I guess. Yeah. That is 100 episodes. So. Maybe the story's not quite worth that wait, but... Um, no, it probably isn't, but we'll wait anyway, Maybe I we'll guess. see it before then, who knows. Uh, you have anyway. to, you'll have to stay tuned. Absolutely. Uh, so, I'm MBZ, I'm the host of this show where we talk about Nintendo video games. I'm joined by my co-host, Bally. How are you, Bally? I'm very good. I think co-host is the wrong word. I think you mean Keyblade Master? Oh, I see. Well, actually, I don't think that is the right word, because a Keyblade Master would have finished Kingdom Hearts 3 <laughs> instead of oh, bailing God. at the last boss, but I guess yeah. we'll get to that oh, um, when we get to we it. An, an extended Kingdom Hearts minute on this uh, week's episode <laughs> of the show. Kingdom Hearts rant. Yeah, basically, I, I guess so. Uh, so, cool. We are here to talk about Nintendo video games, all that fun stuff. Bally, do you want to let the fine folks know what's coming up in the show for the rest of it? Sure. So we're going to do a two-segment show this week. It's going to be first segment of what we have been playing and a second segment of your listener emails. We've got a few to get through. Yeah, uh, and we you know, get through those and then we'll be like, hey, send us more so that we can fill it back up again. So that'll be a good thing to do. Uh, also, stay tuned to the end of the show where we'll be talking about our next Backlog Club game and, uh, and getting a vote up there, get a poll on Patreon and stuff. So stay tuned, we'll announce it at the end and then you can all go over and vote and choose our next Backlog Club game, which will be exciting. Um, great. Well, let's get things started then on today's episode, Bali. Uh, we've got a, you know, there's a big game that's come out, which is Super Mario Maker 2, but we're going to we're gonna do a big discussion on that after you just drop a bit of a rant about okay. Kingdom Hearts 3 for us. Right. Kingdom Hearts 3. There's a lot to say about this game. Um, I'd never played the Kingdom Hearts game, want to make that clear. I've, I've always been looking to, like, experienced disney games and generally they have a fairly poor track record just of like in terms of quality i mean the only disney game i think that i have played and owned is a mickey mouse game on playstation oh, that's 1, a good one actually which i actually really like it kind of goes through the history of mickey mouse it's a 2d platformer it's very very difficult um i never finished it i only ever got like halfway through and like there's a it's a really punishing live system one day i want to go back and play that game maybe with save states and and stuff like that but that was like my one experience with a full-on disney disney ass game right i think mine going back was probably something like good old tarzan on gamecube that we've, <laughs> we've mentioned right, before yeah. and maybe Gosh. another couple of movie tie-ins that i think i played back in the day um, sure i mean there was obviously the toy story games as well actually toy story 2 on ps1 is a cracker i love that game it's a, it's a hell of a gem um but uh but aside from that i remember playing like the demo for the original toy story game on my dad's laptop in the car actually one of my first games i'm just suddenly all the disney games are coming out of my brain one of my favorite games of all time my classic game is uh hercules, hercules on, on PS1. Oh, yeah, PS1. On PC, right? But I played it on PC exactly as a 2D side scrolling Hercules game that I need to go back and play because it's been so long since I played that game. So, actually, yeah, I have maybe played quite a few Disney games I just forgot about, uh, which some of them are pretty damn good. But I think a lot of the people who 
talk about classic disney games talk about like aladdin on genesis and stuff like right. that you know like the or the lion king lion like king, those old capcom that, disney games yeah. when capcom had the license and they were making like really good DuckTales. 2D side scrollers obviously ducktales awesome. yeah so, um, i played ducktales remastered look at me about it. i'm like oh, i've never played disney game i guess i have played a bunch of them so there you go there are a bunch of them out there some are much better than others for sure but for a company like the size and scale of disney it is i think it is fair to say that they've not really had an over overall really successful time in video game industry and i think that a series like disney infinity was something that i was definitely keen to try out but it kind of was intimidating to me in the sense that i didn't know where to start and i felt that the amount of money you had to pay towards it to get like the models and things was and the models were something i wasn't interested in uh was just it was quite a high threshold to get into that game it was like quite a lot of money right it was it was a lot of fan service but also it was very targeted right. at a demographic that was all about skylanders and stuff like that right, right. It, was, it was on the toys to life market and it was relatively successful at it but it probably wasn't successful exactly. enough because disney closed it down and they shut down that studio and poor johnny vignaki lost his job but uh mm. you know that's uh it's another tale for another time i guess but the thing with disney infinity and I think just generally that era is that they never really delivered on the promise of what you maybe wanted out of it in terms of the video game part, right? Like I think they got Ninja Theory in there to help with some of the combat stuff. Maybe that was, um, you know, like they, they just like put it out to other developers to help. But in terms of actually a, a, ga- a video game that plays well, I don't know that it was that satisfying. I think it was competent, right? But sure. it wasn't... I mean, I, I was prepared that had it been a 40 50 pound package and it had three four five six disney world experiences in there i would have been up for it it was the fact that it felt like a lot more expensive than that and i was prepared for the gameplay to be not amazing but it was a good experience of like these disney worlds and right that's where kingdom hearts kind of appeals to me and it was right but the thing with kingdom hearts as well is you're like i, I want to play kingdom hearts i'm like bali you realize like this is going to make literally less than zero <laughs> sense to you because this is a game this is a franchise that is built on the idea of complete and utter nonsense it is so incredibly convoluted makes no sense and i i just don't really understand why you want to jump in at this third entry into this series Right, and I think that I agree with you on those points, but the reason I wanted to jump in was to experience those Disney worlds in like a video game setting and just see what 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 the world of Disney is looking like in video games today. Like as a big Disney fan, I felt like it was almost a duty, like it was something I I, I had to see. I was really curious just to see what this game was about, and I was prepared to find the story incredibly convoluted convoluted confusing dull and in large part it was but i do think that what this game is really good at is those worlds those settings and just off the top of my head like so i'm not i'm gonna spoil what some of these worlds are don't worry i'm not gonna spoil the kingdom hearts story because quite frankly i can't i can't actually (laughs) i don't think i would be able to articulate how that story plays out in a way where anyone would feel spoiled in the slightest so i'm ignoring that side of it but i am going to talk about some of the worlds um so i would say that 100 acre wood and from, from winnie the pooh and olympus from hercules look notice noticeably worse than the rest of the world so like don't get me wrong i think they look fine 
But I think when you compare them to the Disney animation worlds and the Disney Pixar worlds, I think those worlds look almost identical to the actual films they're referencing, which I think is just incredible. So I wonder if Hercules and uh, Hundred Acre Wood were in previous Kingdom Hearts games, uh, because I know... Olympus definitely was, and I'm pretty sure Hundred Acre Wood was. Yes, I know that Olympus was, so if both of those were in previous games, it may be that the way that they're bringing them back is to make them look as faithful as possible and obviously because those the last mainline game in the series was playstation 2 so perhaps that's the reason why they look worse um yeah that's possibly it um and definitely this game isn't scared to do flashbacks to previous games and in those flashbacks they do not update the graphics (laughs) uh, much at all so it's very very jarring and that's from the very first cutscene in the game that does a big flashback of the entire story up until this point, more or less, you're going through all these horrendous looking like, you know, PS2 game. And we're now sitting middle end of the generation of PS4, which is what this game is. And it's a noticeable, really huge uh, jump. And I think that that's where I think toy story like monsters inc uh big hero six tangled frozen these worlds just look look incredible and like it, i think that running around those worlds the the stories that those worlds tell are actually done really well and i think the dynamic between sora uh, sora um donald and goofy is like it's it's fun like they're, they're it's pretty funny at times um a lot of the writing is very jarring definitely but those smaller scale stories seeing those characters interact with like you know elsa from from frozen and like rapunzel from tangled and all these other characters and woody and buzzer back and here's hercules played by the voice actor for hercules is bloody awful but most oh, of the voice actors are here from these actual franchises which is incredible Uh, and those smaller scale stories are really cool and it's it does actually feel like six seven eight games in one and to an extent where you're spending a good three four hours in each world and it's just a really impressive like it's a bit like octopath in a way where you got the smallest smaller local stories are much more rewarding than the grander story which is just convoluted and less important in my view um and certainly the opening of the game in olympus and the final boss fight in olympus is incredible like it's probably my favorite boss fight in the whole game actually and maybe that's a bit it's not great to put your best boss fight at the start of a game well but... yeah i guess and i think they did show that thing like before release as well is it like against a titan yeah or something? so there's yeah. multiple titans and you're doing okay. multiple things and as someone who grew up in the 90s and is very fond of those 90s disney films it's a real kind of wow that's really cool um yeah yeah yeah. hercules one of my favorite disney films for sure exactly so So i think these worlds are incredibly impressive and something i wasn't aware of but i mean you were from following the coverage of kingdom hearts 3 was yeah the pirates of the caribbean world and Uh i had seen footage of like pirates of the caribbean and disney infinity and i assumed that like that was going to be the art style they were going to replicate so i was prepared for the parts of the caribbean art style to be very jarring and look kind of non-realistic in a very cartoonish in a way and they really really went for the photorealism in a way I oh really, they did and it's weird i as wasn't hell. prepared for and 
like Donald all of a sudden you should I should be clear Sora Donald and Goofy their form changes between all the worlds they go through so right so when they're like in Toy Story they're toys, they're toys and stuff like and that they're monsters yeah. in the Monsters Inc one and so on and so when they are in uh, the parts of the Caribbean world all of a sudden you can like see Donald's feathers like on his his his, his like realistic realistic drawn. feathers like poking at his head and Goofy all of a sudden you can see like moisture in his fur and it's like wow and Sora just looks a lot more human almost um yeah and then you see like the 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 facial capture of like Johnny Depp and Keira Knightley and, and Orlando Bloom and that from Pirates of the Caribbean You're like geez they really went for it like I can tell why this game just took so damn long to make because I think the the replication of the worlds from Disney worlds and the amount of detail that Disney have also obviously worked with Square Enix on just to make sure that these are accurate representations is above and beyond what you would really assume Disney would ever do in a video game, but especially to do it with Square Enix. It, like that, that is that is just the weirdness of Kingdom Hearts. It is like these two big companies, one famous. For it the, just shouldn't exist. It shouldn't basically. exist at all, and you can really see why it did take so long because it is a really impressive package when you're looking at how those worlds are replicated and like i should say parts of the caribbean you're swimming underwater you're exploring the sea right so like, like all these gameplay variety right. that's happening in the different areas you're going to and yeah. there's full like and i remember watching the quick look and there being like this section where you're in a mech like diva from overwatch and like shooting things oh yeah there's like that seems like a one-off idea that's just in that world and nowhere else yeah and there's full-on Assassin's Creed 4 ship combat in Pirates of the Caribbean, for example. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. And there's proper exploration between islands and that sort of thing. Sure. And, and that's not even to mention the gummy ship, which, you know, traveling between these worlds, doing a stupid mini-game where you're floating around and shooting in space. Um, how, do you, how do you find that kind of Ugh, I mean, it handles horribly. And Yeah, um, I think that was people's complaint from the original game was the gummy ship, yeah, was people did not it, like it at all. It's yeah it's really not good um i like the idea that you fly a ship between worlds i think that is good for the world building but right contextually it's a nice thing exactly but trying to talk about contextual world building in a world like kingdom hearts is right just... it's just like is there any context really needed when it's this stupid you know? yeah it's so like i'm all up for magic i'm all up for fantasy but when you're depicting science fiction magic fantasy these there has to be rules based in these worlds if that if you know what i mean like star wars is rules a fantastic in kingdom example. hearts no, rules really right but you can even go as crazy as a game like xenoblade chronicles which i think as a world holds together just about like i would actually argue something oh, yeah. like star wars is a stronger world just because of the the detail thought through down to the the most small scale droid is like incredible in a world like star wars but xenoblade i'd say it's maybe going a bit too crazy and at times it is a bit just over the top if you just take kingdom hearts i don't know i i think there's a pretty consistent at least for the 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 majority of the game the last yeah. like 10 percent of the game like they go off the fucking but, deep end no, exactly. which i love but yeah. also the actual the world of the two titans and and the history of it and the way they explain things and like the way that societies interact with each other i think it's all very internally consistent yeah i i agree with the internal consistency but again yeah, the last end of the game it does go off the deep end a bit in a way that i think does unravel some of the um core rules of what that world is trying to do and i'm just saying uh, that, like, well a game like kingdom hearts 
they never start with those rules in the first place. It's just constantly wild. You don't have any idea. I like to think like you would have a rough idea of what the people in this world do on a day-to-day business when stuff isn't, when the shit isn't, isn't hitting the fan, you know, like with this plot, like what, what, where do they live? What do they do? What they can't just, well, live- I mean, it's, they live in the world of the films for God's sake. Like it's the frozen part of that game is literally just frozen. The movie except Sora and Donald are in it. No, no, no. I'm talking, I'm talking about the characters like Sora and that where the, like the, Oh, human- well, Sora and Sora is always on a quest to become a keyblade master. Right, like what, but- he doesn't like have a real job and go to the toilet and stuff like that. He's, but he's a video no- game character. Exactly. But there's no idea of, and there is like twilight town. So maybe that's where the, these people live but the worlds of frozen the worlds of toy story they're very much like these these bubbles that keep unto themselves and then you are going into those bubbles and that's that's a good way of protecting the disney you know brand of those films they don't have the films mixing with each other in a way that would be unbelievably complicated and convoluted so it's just it's if you're given the task of having disney worlds and creating a story around them i guess yes the game does a good job but the stuff away from the disney worlds and just the the way that you travel around in the gummy ship and then the sora can like fly and crap and then you're just everyone seems to just warp consistently everywhere and there's no rules or it's just so crazy beyond any interest of mine that i'm just like this is just rubbish it's garbage yeah um, and I, I think that like just comes down to our difference in opinion on things like time travel where you're like it needs to make sense it must have logical consistency whereas i'm like you know as long as the themes are represented well and as long as like the time travel creates uh, a narrative satisfaction then i don't really care if you bend the rules you know like i i would rather have a game or a story that is told with an arc that makes sense even if like the random warping around is like not explained like i don't need the explanation i just need it to be narratively satisfying and i think a lot of my favorite time travel stories you can unravel them and you can be like oh this is nonsense um but it's it's definitely for me far more about what is this achieving for what they're trying to say you know yeah but i mean i I'd, I'd even say like i don't mind bending of the rules either with even with time travel i think there are some very good stories that involve time travel but and it is where the rules are bent but i just feel like kingdom hearts those rules don't even exist in the bloody first place that's the okay okay sure there is so little reality to root back to you know the center of where the story starts and all that sort of thing that it's just so it's so crazy and out of this world that it's just ridiculous to a to a, the point where you don't care about it from from the off right and, yeah um, but but also i would argue that as someone who's jumping into the third entry in a series with like nine games all of which have a link together to make this story make sense yeah that's true i would yeah. say that you're coming in uninvested like you don't have 10 years of playing this series true, to true. invest yourself into it um, whereas if you had, then I'm sure you'd come out the other side with a very different opinion, yeah. be it positive or negative. You would at least have more fiery opinions about like what they did with the story. Yeah, and like I feel quite scared to go back to previous games just because one of the best aspects of this game, I thought, was the way that the worlds were represented and and graphically just how impressive some of those worlds were so if you take out how impressive some of the worlds are in the previous games and i know it goes to some cool places that i would be interested in seeing but without like a proper hd complete re re 
doing remake um I, i'm not sure i'm that keen to experience those worlds and try and try and get involved in that i mean story. They, there is like an hd collection but that's more of like a remaster type yeah, deal yeah um, it's, so. it's yeah it's a coat of polish but ultimately yeah i, I just yeah it's it's just weird and and like i've not even gotten to probably my main issue and why i was unable to like beat the final boss of this game and that is that i just think the fight system is very poorly done overall like as a as a action rpg it just feels i don't mind a fight system that just feels very mashy but if you're gonna go for a fight system that's just very mashy and you're going through hordes of enemies it's when that fight system then requires you to counter and, and block and and right so the entire game you haven't had the expectation of complicating the mechanics like you can basically the idea is you can get through the entire game just by pressing the square button and then you get to a boss where it's like oh actually lol you have to do all this other stuff but you haven't practiced enough to where you're proficient at it yeah you can more or less get through the whole game by button mashing and your reward for button mashing is stuff like the theme park rides that become a, a button prompt and all of a sudden there's a pirate ship swinging and doing damage to enemies there's teacups spinning around there's like the the raft ride and the the buzz Lightyear uh galactic command or whatever ride it's called i can't remember and you're like shooting and it, these aspects are just such a cool spectacle that just keep the keep the fights interesting and they're not difficult but they're just really satisfying to just see these things on the screen and all the other different um like special moves you can do with specific characters like mike and sully or like captain jack sparrow and all these characters that you can actually do some cool stuff with uh that's all great but then when the boss suddenly becomes much more about countering and blocking all of a sudden you aren't getting all your combos in all of a sudden you're not getting the right rewards for hitting combos and you're all of a sudden playing like a really hard fighting game in a way without the the timing and you know precision that you would expect to like successfully pull off a counter and all of a sudden when i've played games like god of war and spider-man from last year which has to have these impeccable fight systems where the timing on countering and blocking i thought was really really well implement- implemented this game you just feel like you miss that first attack that they've that the enemy's doing to you that like this i'm talking about the final boss or near the end when the enemies are more difficult so the second you're attacked and they start their combo it felt like there was no way to get out of that combo and you're just taking a ton of damage until you're down to like you're flashing with like a few health left and then you just get killed sure. the next hit and it's like this is pure miserable and i, and I appreciated this was going to be a tough end to the game so i was very keen to just go into the menu and turn the difficulty down from normal to easy uh but turns out you can't do that and that's just Great, a good. really crap crap design it's indefensible I, I think it's one of our pet peeves right like i think we generally have pet peeves about modernization of video games and like conveniences of modern video games and i think we we criticize a lot of games for certain aspects maybe outside of the game itself more in terms of like how how is this optimized how is this built for being played in 2019 where people don't have as much time to play video games etc and the idea that in this day and age that you can't just on the fly change difficulty down 
is just a big turnoff for me. It just really it, it frustrates me because it's like give people the option, like let people have the option to do it if they want to. So yeah, not being able to change difficulty is just a nightmare, and so this meant that I was just unable to defeat the final boss, and that left a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. But I went and watched the final boss and. I'm glad I pulled out of that fairly early because that fight goes on and on. And even if I had mastered the fight system, I think I would have struggled massively on normal with that boss, to be honest. And the final cutscene is more garbage of what this story tries to throw at you. Um, Uh And the character development of like Sora and Donald and Goofy, I think is quite enjoyable. And the way that they constantly talk throughout the game and... But I mean, they don't, they don't meet like I, I don't want to talk about the end. But I don't know. I, it wasn't satisfying in the slightest. Um, <laughs> and but I think the journey was actually really fun in a weird way. Like I I do feel very conflicted right. about this game. And honestly, this game brought a bit a bit of a Disney Renaissance in me. Like I went and watched Tangled and Big Hero Six with Caroline. Like oh nice, yeah. From playing this game, like I watched Tangled after having done that bit and knowing that Big Hero Six was coming up, I watched that film ahead of playing it and i'm glad i did because they would have spoiled the entire film but um right yeah and then like we went and saw toy story 4 like so i was really like invested in these stories and really checking back in with where disney are at now like the disney animation studios in particular some of the films i've missed out on the last few years and just kind of really excited about frozen 2 later this year and stuff like that and yeah, this game yeah. has, has really reinvigorated a lot of that joy i've had with disney and like my childhood and I can see why people are obsessed with this game and it does have like its fan base that are just really into um, the stories because I do think that those Disney worlds are very emotive and are like the childhood for so many people, especially like our age who grew up in the 90s. And I do think Disney are having a real renaissance in sort of the teens. Um, I think the noughties, they really were, Disney themselves were really struggling where Disney Pixar was really excelling. And I feel like Disney animation has really come back into its own with stuff like Tangled and uh, Frozen and Big Hero 6 and like Moana. Moana, absolutely. So they're really back firing. And I think it was just, it was interesting that this game included some worlds from from like the the renaissance they had back in the 90s like hercules that's in this game um some of the strengths they had with pixar in the noughties like toy story and um monsters inc especially obviously toy story started way earlier uh but then also like some of the their new successes like big hero 6 tangled and frozen they're also in this game i think that's really nice um i guess another big success of the noughties was pirates of the caribbean it's also in this game so like yeah exactly very true yeah just that was really cool to see and as i said before i think sora disney sora sora goofy and donald are hilarious and i did enjoy a lot of that um didn't get overly invested in the overall story uh it's it's incredibly simplistic and complicated at the same time um so it is all it's just all that hearts coming together and hearts and friendship and love and uh-huh. all these things that you would assume disney would want to focus on so if you enjoy it on that level then yeah it's it's good but trying to get overly yeah. invested in some of the characters and the the time travel and the betrayal and it's kind of like all right we get it it's Fine. weird because it's this weird. this series started off as a crossover between 
Disney and Final Fantasy specifically, right? And I think over the years, the Final Fantasy layers have kind of dissipated, and instead you have the Kingdom Hearts layer, which is like their own characters that they created for this series, which basically all look like Final Fantasy characters, but are actually original Kingdom Hearts characters. So yeah. things like Sephiroth from the original game, or like Cloud showing up, or like all these final fantasy things that were a big deal have kind of just disappeared from the series which is a bit of a shame i don't know if there is much of that still in kingdom hearts 3 but it would be cool if like you know terra or celeste or someone from six showed up like that would be i mean great. so they've got their there's a whole other character called terra who has nothing to do with final fantasy in this game yes yeah, so, yeah, so yeah so no, like, i know that as well yeah God. yeah but yeah it, i don't know it, it's it is what it is i think that I'm. I would be shocked if people were invested in this game in the slightest if it didn't have the Disney coat of paint because I think that is, in a weird way, the coat of paint is the the reason this game is so popular in a, in a weird way. Yeah, and there's not a yeah. whole lot of games that are like that. Um, so yeah, that's weird. And I, I'm, I get that there are people invested in in the story. I personally. Having played just this game, and I might go back and play the others, I'm undecided on that. Um, having played just, just three, obviously the end of the story, I, I couldn't get invested. But I had a really good time with this game. It took me like 38 hours or something crazy, but I actually Christ. really enjoyed it. And um, it was just such a nice game to just put a podcast on, experience these Disney worlds, um, pause the podcast to listen to some cutscenes. Um, sing along with Elsa to let it go and what what more could you want in a video game yeah sure yeah um, anyway it was a uh, lot we'll, uh, we'll check we'll, we'll check back in in the year 2026 when Kingdom Hearts 4 comes out and we have Star Wars worlds and Marvel worlds thrown into there as well to pad out the Disney catalog I mean uh, yeah I think that would be that would be awesome and like I'm fascinated sure. to see sure I, they're probably gonna do that let's be honest so in that sense like yeah. I'm in like I'm now in on Kingdom Hearts I'm totally up for another game if they give me more worlds and more characters and another 35 hour game let's just do it uh, like and that's but at the same time the story was just god awful and um, i feel very weird about this game um in a way uh-huh. i think i was kind of expecting to to be honest but uh, yeah. yeah 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 kingdom hearts 3 so that's my kingdom hearts minute for episode yeah, the longest minute this podcast <laughs> has ever experienced i yeah. guess um great oh, fantastic weird. well let's uh let's take a nice bath from that and let's uh let's bathe in something a lot more wholesome uh which is uh is super mario maker 2 which is the big game of the moment and came out very very recently it's been about a week or so with the game and i'm waiting to tick over that 10 day amount on my switch to see just how disgusting i have been in terms of the hours i've invested but like the first weekend i can probably say i put like 15 hours into this game Whoa. because uh there's something about level design ballot there's something we were talking about this before we started recording is there is something about the loop of having an idea and wanting to see that through to fruition and really getting pedantic about the details and being like okay i want this to be perfect and i have to constantly test it and i have to constantly be thinking like does this work does this work what if i throw this idea mm. in here does that make it better no okay i'm gonna have to change that slightly oh can i what if someone does this differently like what if someone plays this and wants to speed run it can they get through this section do i have to block them off like there's this constant non-stop thing that happens when you're designing a level in mario maker that makes it impossible 
to like take a break from it or put it down and if you do in the middle of a level like what i did with my really long one like i'm going to sleep dreaming about it or thinking about it constantly in my head it is it's an obsession unlike anything else i've really experienced in playing video games designing levels in mario maker it's i i think kind of astonishing that loop that you've described when you have an idea and you want to see it through to fruition and you you do kind of want to keep going while your creative juices are flowing i actually think that might be the most addictive loop in video games i've ever experienced maybe like it's pretty I don't close get it, for I, me i don't get it as much as you like you've, you've definitely gone again like a lot harder with a lot more levels i've only made like two levels but i'm totally up for making more levels um but when i'm in the middle of that idea and thinking where how do i do the next part where do i put the checkpoint do i need to do i need to do this i need to test this i need to keep testing this keep testing this like three four five hours pass and it just feels like the most seamless time like time in video games almost yeah. for me to a degree it's like and that's something really special that goes above and beyond i think what nintendo even anticipated people might feel with this game and it's definitely this they're having this debate on waypoint i believe where i think austin walker was saying what did nintendo actually what for nintendo what is the ideal level that you make and they were talking about some of the labels that you can put on the levels for example yes. how patrick Klepik was like they should have a label that says kaizo and it's like but nintendo would never do that obviously because they they expect you to make levels in a specific way but at the same time they let you do all these things it's weird right because there are these moments where nintendo acknowledge stuff like you go to the eShop and there's the news tab on the Switch and there's literally a thing which says, hey, here are some Metroidvania games. Like, Nintendo are using the language of... Language of fans, yeah. Yeah, it's a language of their fan base and it's very weird to see that happening. Um, but to, to me, I think that's more of, like, the PR and marketing people doing that as opposed to the development side. Like, the development side is very much, like, you know, isolated from a lot of those types of things but they also show that they do care about what people want and i think nintendo have constantly proved that not only with like smash brothers being the big example of like constantly with ridley and then k rule and like banjo and all these things happening they are listening to their fans but also there are there are so many frustrations i have with mario maker 2 like so many tiny little cuts that kind of add up to you know a lot of bleeding but but also the the body is so whole that it's hard to kind of for it to die you know like it's very weird like there's a lot of cuts in your in your in your right foot or something like it's not, yeah exactly it's not like you you, you can survive yeah. and like you know it's it's strong it's a strong body but like there's lots of little cuts along the way and it's annoying and it's it, it creates friction but the base thing is so fucking good that it's hard to like tear it down if you know what i mean like and for me when i think about it actually in reality there's not a whole lot different i'm doing with this game than i did with the first game that's what i feel as well yeah the major differences in terms of the way i'm playing it personally is there's new course elements like that's the big thing for me this is practically like a deluxe edition but they just added a bunch of course elements and there's a lot of additions like not only with like the extra themes the different types of levels with like desert and stuff now but you also have the night versions which add weird twists to each of them and then every single element they add has some weird way that it can interact in ways that you don't think it can and it's not only with the on-off switches that have so many uh, uses that are so varied but even stuff like the seesaw that 
can be like there was a level i was playing that nintendo had made in the story mode and i think this is one of the reasons i should play a bit more of the story mode because it gives you ideas is seeing a thwomp interacting with a seesaw and so using that to like like hit it down and then raise it to a different platform stuff like that is really interesting to me where you have these disparate elements of the mario tool set and the way they interact with each other is the fun part it's like seeing levels where people make crazy contraptions and somehow get these parts to work together when really in a traditional mario game nintendo would never do something like that and yet they're really encouraging it in this game especially with the story mode and showing you all the different ways that you can use these course elements to synergize into something that is wholly unique and and different um and, and i think that's the most exciting part for me and i think the the reason why nintendo's game design of recent years has been so exciting has been that interactivity between disparate elements like breath of the wild being the most obvious example of hey what if i do this and this if i have this idea can it work and mario maker is definitely more constrained than that it's not as freeform but you still have these course elements that have interactivity and when you put them together they do something potentially unexpected potentially surprising um and i think that's kind of the excitement that i have about mario maker generally yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I'm getting most fun out of the, the new items and things that you can do with the tile set. I think a new 3D World tile set is fantastic, I think. Yeah, level... it is a little bit limited comparative. Like, there's some stuff you can do that you can't do, which is obvious. Like, like I think the blinking blocks yeah, and stuff like that is fun. The stuff like the spike block for 3D World is four blocks large, and I don't even think there's an equivalent spike block that's one block large. So if you're just trying no. to block out that one little area that you need to make sure someone can't get through or something you kind of re- need to design around a, a big four block and it's yeah it can be a bit clunky i think that's just like every everything is kind of larger in 3d world generally like it just because the game is pulling from a, a, a original title that is in 3d i think just the asset generation and the way the assets are has to be a bit larger um just to make it feel like that original game you know like the big piranha plants and the giant bullet bills and all these types of enemies like even the the kind of like um the caterpillar type things you can bounce on yeah yeah Uh, you know they're all kind of large in comparison so so yeah i guess so yeah and Um, all that stuff is great and and like the sort of the the thousand cuts that you're talking about and some of my experiences just going online and like where's my friends list like how do i find that i had to like do yeah, a tweet like, i had and... to i had to be like where is my mario maker id so i can yeah. send it to people and it's just it's this tiny thing in the corner of another page that you have to open a window and find there's no easy way no like i just think the the ui is just poorly designed it just feels like there's there's no easy access to things that you want to to get to um this happens often with nintendo right like they just they don't really understand how people play their games i think mario maker is one of those key examples of they have less control than ever over what people do in these this game and and what levels they create and so they still want to kind of exercise that nintendo like control over you and so they like put these things like it's uh it's frustrating patrick klepik had a great idea on waypoint radio he said what if they had a feature where it was like the it was like a white flag button or something or like a you know, you press it and it reveals how the person who uploaded the level beat the level. So either you're playing a puzzle level... Like a ghost or... Yeah, like, exactly. How you can watch their ghost, how they beat their own level. Um, and 
he's not saying like that should be for every level necessarily but maybe you have the option so if it is like a puzzle based level uh and you've been banging your head against it for like 20 minutes half an hour you're like, how do you go move on you can be like right let's see how they uploaded it and they, oh they, right. they found have like this a hint system this. almost right and that seems like a feature that shouldn't be too difficult to implement surely that data is there they know how you beat that level um right. but like there's just some really s- quality of life things and and you can, we can get into like uh, and we've not i've not tried it yet at least like the whole multiplayer online thing apparently that's horrendous and i have deliberately not tried it because i have not seen a single piece of footage where it is not a lag fest right. to hell it is just disgusting how ba- how they expect us to pay an amount it doesn't matter how much money it is we're paying for an online service now nintendo if if we're paying you money to have an online service not only do they not have friend play at launch but the system they launch with is among the worst experience i've ever seen in terms of an online game yeah. it is god awful it is horrific and it is just actually it is insulting that nintendo expects us to pay for this when this is what they're offering us it is it is brawl like it is we era like which is not what you want to be having in this day and age. And not to mention the entire friend code system of this game that doesn't even pull from your Switch friends list. What is the fucking point of the Switch friends list? It is completely and utterly useless. It does nothing. You cannot invite people. All you can do is see how many hours they played of video games. But in terms of actually connecting to them in a video game drawing that friends list into mario maker so you can easily access it no here's another nine digit goddamn code you have to put in and then every level has a code as well it is just it is incompetent beyond belief and it just baffles me baffles me that we still exist more than a decade after nintendo first started doing online games and this is where we are it it is just it is baffling like how can you be this incompetent it makes no sense they literally live in a bubble they do not know what an online experience should be and it's like we talked about with the 3ds stylus or the ds stylus it's like they come up with a good idea they nail it and then they constantly unravel it and feel like no we've got to do something different this time we've got to do this and i don't know it's not like they've ever done online correctly but you know there, there have been examples where they've done it better than they had done in the past and they consistently just don't um yeah yeah so i mean like i and i really want to play like the idea of co-op levels is exciting to me i think the levels they showed off at the nintendo world championship were awesome that that was really clever puzzle design really cool stuff and i'm sure there are creators out there who who want to make co-op levels but i think a lot of people are being turned off by it because number one like the online is awful so even playing them with people is kind of a nightmare but you can't play them with the people you like say you're a level designer you want to play a co-op level with one of your friends the level you make not only can you not play it with one of your friends you could potentially when you're going into co-op not even come across it because the levels they drop you into could be any level that's the way the co-op multiplayer works in this game is it could be just a single player level not even one that is tagged as co-op which just why like yeah. why why not have a, a bin where you drop people into where it's only levels tagged as co-op that you are able to play in co-op mode it's just huh. and i know i've ranted a lot but like i think that the the reason why i have to is because the rest of the game is so fucking great like the rest of it is exceptionally well made and 
obviously there's a drawback it's not the wii u the wii u was the perfect system for mario maker and i agree with a lot of complaints people have because holding the switch in handheld mode and using a stylus and all that stuff it is more tiring like the switch is a heavier device my wrist hurts more from holding it and then switching over to play than it did with the wii u and you need a stylus i think there have been people saying they just use their finger and my view on people who just use their finger to make these levels is well you're not you're not much of a maker then in that sense because honestly it's way easier with a stylus yeah well i mean it will take you way longer to make a good level if you're using your finger yeah exactly so if you are like spending five six hours like i did on one of my levels i know you spent about 12 hours like yeah imagine yeah. doing that with your finger like are you kidding imagine me? doing that on the fucking tv yeah. with oh, the God. controller like yeah. i tried that for a while i was streaming mario maker and i was like let's see like how i can make a level with the controller and it i'm sure i could get used to it i'm sure i could figure it out but no matter how good i got with a controller it would never be more efficient than using yeah. it's the, the handheld mode with a stylus it's the small fiddly things of like matching a platform up to another one just fixing the little like oh i need one more block there i need one more little thing yes. like in terms of the sweeping strokes i'm sure it's quick but when you're trying to just fix those little bits that in the long run make a big difference to the level just getting a stylus getting the eraser doing undo redo just get the right thing put it in place like you can do that so much more effectively with a stylus yeah. um, but but even that is frustrating like the whole idea that um copy and erase is now a toggle instead of a hold action drives me insane yeah it's a bit weird yeah because it was per like this is what i'm talking about just like the ds stylus you got it right with the ds light it was on the side it's still out perfectly great it's like you they got it perfect with mario maker one it felt great to do one on this shoulder one on this shoulder this is the copy this is the arrays this is how it works and then for some fucking reason they just decide oh no we'll just take this good idea we had and throw it in the bin and put in a worse one like stuff like that is just like why why do you why do you make that decision it doesn't make any sense it's just it's change for the sake of change which is i think nintendo like that you know i think nintendo like being oh we gotta you know make it different but like different isn't good all <laughs> yeah, the time it, and that ethos works great with like breath of the wild <laughs> but then when, oh, totally, when you're yeah. talking about online like menus and and ui and how multiplayer works online like it makes a big deal that you build on what is already successful like it's huge yeah yeah and 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 little things like they added the zoom out mode which is great i like that feature i think it's really good to get a sense of the whole level but to be able to only like copy and erase and stuff in that mode is a little bit restricting like i wish they gave you the opportunity to maybe you know tile over things or or even you know use some of the tools when you are fully zoomed out um yeah just that's the kind of part of the game that for me the making is still very good but it is clearly designed about a different interface and have you had this problem where like trying to color in blocks that are right on the edges of the screen like right at the top of the screen where the the toolbar at the top kind of covers up the first square yeah it's easy to miss out a, a block at the very top and in certain levels someone could just jump over the top is that well no no i'm, I'm more talking about like when you're coloring in like blocks at the, at the top of the screen yeah just having to move mario up to get the little menu to disappear oh right got you yeah no it's a bit annoying yeah and then like like it it, it's a fiddliness that i don't think the original game had like why why is that overlaying the level why is that not in its separate thing 
that doesn't overlay every time. And it's, it is very much that this game with the radial menus and all that stuff, which I think actually some of the radial menu stuff is smart. I think that categorizing it into blocks and enemies and gimmicks and stuff like that is, is good. I think that makes it easier to quickly access some of your stuff. But it's, it's still designed around a controller-based implementation because it's a radial menu, right? And that's what controllers will find easier than a big old list where you have to scroll down yeah. as opposed to the stylus in the first game. It's an improvement in some aspects, but uh, yeah, it's... As we say, like one step <sighs> forward, nine steps back with Nintendo all the time, constantly. Um, yeah, and, and what about story mode? I know you've not played much of that yet. I've not even um, touched probably. it yet, but I, and I, I've kind of... Have you not? Have you not even opened no, it? No, but um, I've kind of just thought, right, I want to reserve my energy for Mario Maker just into that creativity and into the, the making because it, it takes me a bit more, like, oomph to get my creative juices going and get into that mode. Sure. So when I've got Mario Maker, um, I have really enjoyed playing a lot of, like, listener-made levels that people have been posting in Discord, and that's been... That's been really great. Yeah, which we should shout out. Like our Discord link is in the description of the show, yeah. and we have a tab now on our Discord for Mario Maker levels, and people are posting them in there. Everyone's playing each other's levels, giving feedback, all that good stuff. That's been great, and I've been playing a lot of those yeah. levels. And, and we didn't um, have Discord uh, when Mario Maker One came out, so it's now no, a really great yeah. place where people can say, "Oh, this is my level. This is how it is." And people have been su- suggesting, "Like this is how you could change it. This is how you make it better." Oh, that was a really great level, and yeah, that's been really, really enjoyable. Um, yeah. As I said, like I think for me, Mario Maker, a lot of the joy of Mario Maker is outside of the game, right? It's me going... Yeah, it's the communities it builds and like being able to talk about level design and watching people play incredibly hard levels and watching people play your own levels and seeing, oh, this is what I could have improved more in that aspect. And it's incredibly satisfying. Totally. Like I've done the exact same thing I did before, which is go to Twitch search mario maker 2 scroll down to the very bottom find someone who has like two viewers and say hey will you play my level and more often than not they're like oh wow like i've got someone watching me i'm going to play this level that they've sent me and it's great because you get the benefit of seeing someone else play your level which is an inherent joy that i don't think i've felt outside of this game and they get the the fun of someone interacting with them in chat and talking to them and stuff like that it's a it's a mutually beneficial thing and i think it's a smart thing that people should do if they want people to play their levels um, and i think it's a lot of the reason like when giant bomb got criticism for them being like you know putting mario maker on a pedestal and being like this is a great game because they have a big audience right so they have lots of people who will play their levels but i i actually think that's a fallacy because it's it's not about having a big audience it's about having one person it's about having one other person who you can watch play your level or even just one friend who you can send your level to the real joy of mario maker is that connection between the creator and the individual player and anyone can do that in this day and age and i i think that if you want that experience you can totally have it just go on twitch and and do that um and and obviously you can get lucky sometimes if you have bigger youtube creators that you leave codes for them to play sometimes they'll play your level i remember patrick lepic played one of my levels and then nintendo capri sun played one of my levels in the first game uh and you know that does happen from time to time but you you 100% can get the social experience of it. Um, and I think another part of the social experience of it is playing levels by people you know, YouTubers you watch or Twitch streamers you watch or even um, like people like us, like people have been saying, oh, I like playing your levels because I know who you are and so I get this inherent satisfaction mm. of like i know the creator therefore it feels better to beat the level like you feel like you are more motivated to go through and actually finish it as opposed to just some random level that you see online i um, i actually 
I took your advice and did like the, the Twitch thing, went to the bottom, and I kind of scrolled up a little bit, so there was someone around 20, 30 viewers. Okay, And cool. I went into his stream, and he is just, was just like god-tier skill at like Mario Maker, and I was like, hey, do you want to try my level? And then people were like, get in line, dude! <laughs> you're, you're fourth, <laughs> yeah, in, the you're Twitch fourth in line, and I was like... You know what? I'm going to wait around here and watch this guy face my level because he is really good at this game. So I, I waited my turn. I was fourth in line. Eventually, he's like, "Right, who's next?" And I sort of said, "I believe it's me. <clears throat> it is me. I've been waiting a long time. It's me." Um, and he tried my level. This is a level I think it took you about about half an hour. It's the shell one. This is the use the force Luke, which and I'm finding no one. The the one weakness of my level is no one is understanding my niche reference. No, that I've gone no, for it. no. It's a good reference though but when you understand it. When you understand it, it but... um, I'll I'll leave that for others to work out. But anyway, it took you about half an hour to beat MBZ. Um, this guy must have done it in about five to ten, five to ten minutes, and I was like, wow! Like that was just really impressive. Knowing that, like I thought I'd. Develop, and i could have made the level hard i'm not going to say like i wasn't trying to make it impossible i was trying to make it no it's a doable level but not crazy it's a doable level um and this guy just absolutely nailed it um in about five to ten minutes and he just had such a positive attitude when he died it was just like oh nice right okay and then even when he fell for my troll thing at the end he's like ah yeah you got me and then he just went he just went again it's like that there's some streamers out there that just have this crazy positive energy for like constantly playing mario maker levels and i think it's really it's a really cool thing definitely yeah and, and, and it's weird right because uh, we talked about this when the original game came out and you hadn't played as much as i had but like you i think part of the reason we chose mario maker as the game of the year was because of like things that happened outside the game with the patrick Klepik dan reichert feud yeah. and are they gonna go go at it again or are they kind of, they're kind of going i don't know dan dan seems to have fallen into this thing where he's making nice levels yeah. now his his latest few levels are all really nice he'll get bored of that eventually and then he will yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Will, but... um but yeah i i so talking about a little bit about the story mode because you haven't played it but i've played some of it i think it's a really cool thing i also believe like very much in the fact that it is pretty much what we had in the first game just prettied up uh essentially it's not a it's not what people thought it would be which is and i i i told me i warned people i'm like this isn't gonna be a full mario game like this isn't it's not gonna be like a mario world or whatever this is just a bunch of levels to teach you how to play this game and to teach you about the mechanics that you can use in ideas for your own level and as far as that goes i think it succeeds tremendously i think it really shows you here's an idea here's how this thing interacts like um i learned that you can you know the um the flames that shoot up from the ground Mm. uh you can put wings on those and they fly around i knew that before but there's this level where you put on a shell cap and you can jump into those guys and they die so you can kill those with the shell cap on and so the one of the levels they made was kill nine of these fire things i'm like how am i going to kill a fire thing but it kind of teaches you it's like have the shell cap on jump into them and they die and it's like that is an interaction that i didn't know about i think i'll i think i'll jump into that story mode in that case just to learn some more ideas and get those well exactly that's that's why i've been playing it isn't it's not necessarily that these levels are great and super fun like they are i think they're all really well designed levels but they're not they're not traditional mario levels and i like that because i'm not a fan of traditional mario levels 
they are there because they show you an idea they give you a seed that you can then run with and say okay this is a cool interaction how can i build a whole level about this and like build on this idea and make it maybe even more complicated than what nintendo has shown me uh and 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 that's that's smart right i think that is and it really shows that this game yes is about playing people's levels but more than anything this is about creation and it is about having a go yourself and and trying something and trying to make a level on your own um and and it feels like the story mode is just geared towards getting your creative juices going a bit and saying here's a little idea what if you take that away and 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 do something with it um which is great. And I think a lot of the new additions, like the clear condition is cool. One of the drawbacks of it is you can't have checkpoint flags with clear conditions. And I think that's because when you die, things get reset. So so things like coin coin counts and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, I want to make a level with some unusual clear condition. I think that's my next goal. Yeah, I think I need to do that as well. One of my levels I had was all about collecting. It's a very easy level. It's about getting 100 coins. And I couldn't put a checkpoint in it. It's very small. Um, but like that was my dabbling in it and now i want to think of like okay what's a really unique thing i could do with a clear condition and then build a whole level based around that idea and a lot of the levels in story mode are based on specific clear conditions like one of the ones i'm playing at the moment which they actually showed off on the treehouse live stream of mario maker is a brilliant level where you're not allowed to jump you're not even allowed to fall off a place you're basically your feet are not allowed to leave the ground and the ideas it throws in there, the way it impl- it's just so freaking smart. So you can do, you can make a level with the rule set. You're not your feet aren't allowed to move, leave the ground. Basically, yeah. Aside from story mode, uh, no, you can do that. You can do that in your own level, right? And cool. you won't be able to touch the flagpole if you have jumped or left the ground. Essentially, your feet have to be on the ground the entire time. And that level is genius. It's brilliant. It is so smart and well designed. And it almost is intimidating to some degree because there are so many great ideas in there that you're almost left thinking, well, what ideas do I have to add to this? Because they kind of did everything. Um, so sometimes that will happen. Sometimes they give you maybe a bit too much in terms of thinking like, well, I'm never going to make a level as good as that one. But I like that they they do show you those things. They're like, well, you know, this isn't the only thing. We can you can kind of shift it up and change it. Um, yeah, but but in terms of like the overarching framework of the story mode, it's very simple. It's like, I have more jobs for you. Okay, do all these levels. Then each level you do will be one more notch onto the castle being rebuilt. And then once that section gets rebuilt, you have to spend money to rebuild another section. So it's very basic. And there are some fun characters in there. The writing's fine. Like, it's not a lot of it. You have the undo dog and you have the eraser guy. Like, all these parts of the tool set have been characterized as nintendo often likes to do as we talk about with like the wii balance board they like to make characters out of things that aren't actually characters and mario maker continues in that tradition so so yeah that's been that's been pretty cool but but yeah there there have been some some really amazing just cre- creative levels out there one of my favorites that i uh played or saw i think giant bomb maybe play was one of the highest rated ones that is table tennis and it is you controlling a bullet bill launcher and there's another bullet bill launcher on the other side and it's you jumping with a spring to control this thing so that it's like a paddle you're basically playing pong it's basically you playing pong and it is incredible it is just so ridiculous the engineering behind it like how they thought it out how it worked you should check it out it's pretty highly rated it's it's on the like like star rating system whatever and the popular courses it's probably still up there 
um yeah that the, the things that people do with mario maker are astonishing they really just i think that's the thing about it right we talk about dreams a little bit and dreams is exciting because you can do anything but i think because you can do anything with dreams it it, it breeds less it's creativity almost, it's kind of too much in a way mario maker is it, quite it's almost too much right and i think i think the reason why mario maker is so great is because limitation breeds creativity and this is a thing that like people talk about with old games and how old games had to get around constraints by doing weird things and different tricks but when you have hard limitations it makes you work around them right it makes you figure out a solution that maybe wasn't so obvious and that's why so many things that people put out there for mario maker are, are exciting because it's like whoa you could do this and it's just it's so unexpected um within the given tool set and the rules that you have so so yeah i um i mean i love it you know it's it's a fantastic game but but it comes with a lot of caveats and it comes with i think especially us who have come off the wii u and have played the original game there are a lot of expectations for it that maybe some of them are not met but at its core, the the thing that I'm going to spend 90% of my time with this game doing, which is making levels, is probably better than it has been. And yeah. I think it is, like, aside from some annoyances with the UI, mm. the tool set, the improvements, all that stuff, it's it's great. It's really fantastic. So, so yeah. Um, any other aspects of Mario Maker that you have any cool levels you've played or anything that you've been seeking out with it? I've not been doing a whole lot of seeking out levels yet. Um, I've played a lot of listener uh, levels and that's been good fun. Um, but I definitely need to. I really want to try that Pong one now that you've talked about. <laughs> you should, cool. yeah. I think a good idea is to just go to the popular courses and just go down them because a lot of those courses yeah. are ingenious they're quite easy they have a high clear rate the reason they have so many likes is because so many people are able to finish them right i think that's one of the benefits of this popularity type thing is like a dan reichert level like a hard one is not gonna i was looking at his profile the the newer levels he's made that are much easier more clearable have like 10 times the number of likes that his fucking impossible level has and for that reason i think in popular courses the stuff that rises to the top is what the majority of players will enjoy which are clearable beatable levels um so a lot of the time stuff that is put there is really good because of that idea that like people will naturally want to click like on a level that they have found you know more enjoyable um and i think that happened with me as well like my easiest level is the level that got the most likes when i first started um putting my levels out and the hardest one obviously has the least because less people have been patient to stick with it less people have gone through um, and as i said if you don't know the person who's making the level and you just come across it in the endless mode or whatever you're far more likely to be like i don't know what to do i'm going to skip it and not even think twice about it right um whereas if you're invested you're going to put that time in and, and really care about it uh so yeah again i've not really dipped into endless it's not really my jam i never really played the 100 mario challenge that much i just for me i there are so many people out there on twitter throwing level codes that we've got the discord there's there's so many avenues for me to access good levels by people i know or levels that i want to play that there's really no reason for me to just have the random machine throw whatever the hell at me you know i don't find that as enjoyable i'm not as invested in those levels um so yeah i think i think that's kind of the way i've been playing it and uh again majority of the time creation but it's it's still mario maker still one of the best ideas nintendo has ever had 
and uh it continues to to work so yeah um i will say i need to get a new joy con because mine is now drifting like a motherfucker and it is driving me insane yeah yeah oh boy try playing cuphead with that oh fuck that it sounds terrible it was was awful i the level i was making recently you have to hold down because it's sliding and the joy con drift like thinks i'm pressing up you just pop up randomly into a spike (laughs) Well, no, it doesn't even... Well, I press the down button on the D-pad and Mario does nothing because the Joy-Con drift is, like, pushing it. upwards. Oh, God, yeah. It's like, fuck, why? It's terrible. So, I mean, that's that's not related to Mario Maker. That's my own issue. But, again, it's Nintendo's hardware problems this generation have been stupid. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, any closing thoughts on Mario Maker or are we going to... I think that's pretty much it. I love it. Isn't Need it? to play more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Okay, so we are going to take a break here. We'll be back afterwards, though. Don't go away. We'll be tackling some of your emails and things you have sent to us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's the second segment, and this time we're going to cover your listener emails in our second segment. This is also the final segment of our two-segment show this week. Uh, we need more emails. We always say this. Uh, please send them to thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. Or post in our Discord server. We've got a lot of, lot of people always joining in there, especially with Mario Maker on the go at the moment and lots of chat about games coming out and things. So definitely check out the link to that Discord server in the description. It's also on our Twitter account, at TNL Podcast. Join, the, join in the fun there. Post in the emails thread on there if you want to post a question. Our first email this week is from Duncan, who's from Kent in the United Kingdom. Hi, TNL. Hope you're good. I'm ashamed to say I was a bit late to the party with Xenoblade 2 and only got around to it this January gone. I absolutely fell in love with this game. Being on Switch is so good for JRPGs and I found every moment I could to fall back into the world of Alrest. I'm a father of two, so my time is stupidly precious. In my head, uh, it's in contention with Breath of the Wild for best Switch game. Since completing Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I've been on a bit of a JRPG kick, returning to my 3DS to play Dragon Quest VIII and Chrono Trigger, ordering a bootleg of the GBA Mother 3 translation, and having just started Tales of Vesperia on Switch, which I'd also highly recommend. All this while awaiting Dragon Quest XI to come to Switch later this year got me thinking about my first JRPG experience and how odd it was to be in the PAL region back in the 90s, when the rest of the world was getting so many great ones on the SNES. 
As a British Nintendo fan, I didn't have much exposure to JRPGs as a younger gamer. We didn't get any Final Fantasy games here until the PS1, and as I've always been a Nintendo guy, it wasn't until I got my GBA back in 2003 that I finally played my first Final Fantasy Dawn of Souls. I picked this game up expecting it to be just like all the Zelda games that I'd been playing on the Game Boy and got quite a shock the first time I entered a battle. Turn-based combat definitely didn't gel with me at first, but seeing as my money was tighter back then, I persevered. I'm glad I did. This version of the original Final Fantasy became my chill-out game in which I'd grind into the small hours while listening to CD albums on repeat. This repetitive nature... Uh, which is so often criticised by games media, is actually what I love about these games. I feel invested in the characters because I remember every stat boost they got and I had to work hard for them. This combined with a great story is so good for character investment and getting an emotional response from me, the player. My question is, what were your first JRPG experiences and what do you love about them? I'd also love to hear your thoughts on repetitive grinding. I get that it takes a long time, but that's uh, why handhelds are perfect for it. As always, thanks for the great work you do. I wouldn't have played half the games I did without your great coverage, Duncan from Kent. Fantastic. Thank you, Duncan, uh, for that email and really going through a lot of your RPG experience, which is a genre I think that we have both come into in more recent years than opposed to when we were younger. Despite the fact that we both grew up with like the quintessential rpg of our generation uh which is pokemon right and i think it's interesting because you talk about pokemon all the time and it's not necessarily left out of conversations with rpgs but i think it's less thought of as a traditional rpg than a dragon quest or a final fantasy because it is it is slightly more unique and different and it is it's kind of nintendo's take it was successful in the uk in the 90s which a lot of these exactly. other ones weren't exactly right and so because we never like chrono trigger was never released here neither was final fantasy 6 or 4 or any of these games so we and i'm that's why really as young people we didn't really know much about final fantasy or weren't really into it the first time i really heard about final fantasy was in a magazine before final fantasy 10 was coming out and i saw it i was like this looks like the most realistic thing i've ever seen um and and that was my first kind of exposure to the series but it was yeah it was mainly pokemon that was the biggest deal back then so when i was playing pokemon i didn't even know what an rpg was right so like i didn't have much to compare it to i didn't really think about it in terms of this is a turn-based combat system it's just like this is pokemon the video game the franchise the media empire that i love in a video game and i'm playing it you know that's that's kind of how i felt about it at the time what about you Bally? Yeah, for me as well, it was Pokemon. I wasn't as invested into Pokemon as you were at the time. I I didn't beat uh, Red and Blue at the time. I enjoyed them. I played them. But I was just... I think this is another reason that I've... It took me a long time to get into JRPGs. And it wasn't really until this podcast that I started playing JRPGs other than Pokemon, really. Uh, And that was the fact that I just didn't beat games generally. And JRPGs and RPGs are traditionally very long and take a long time to beat. Right. They they require you to invest and they also require you to follow along and finish a storyline and, like, you know, be up on the systems and the characters and everything. And that just wasn't a patience I had as, like, a younger gamer who played a lot of sort of Mario sports games, racing games, driving games that you could just dip in, dip out. Yeah, like, you look at the games that we played when we were younger together and it's a lot of mario party (laughs) it's a lot of mario kart it's a lot of it's multiplayer centric games uh that we could dip in and out of and not necessarily be like oh i rolled credits on this thing it's yeah right it's definitely in my older years of 
of playing games that I have started to be like, oh, I want to appreciate games in a exactly. different way um, that so, I did back then. So, so as someone who, like, one of the first games I kind of beat when I was younger was a game, as in like a long story driven game well it's not story driven but there's a story that's important there's a game like wind waker and like i feel like playing an action rpg is kind of the first step in a sense before you tackle maybe the longer jrpg format i mean that's even if you want to classify zelda as an action rpg which is kind of questionable that's sure Um, yeah yeah i would say breath of the wild and zelda 2 are the closest zelda gets to rpg status uh just because they have numbers and levels and things like levels yeah Um, yeah which Um, zelda 2 is much more explicit about that that game is very much an rpg mm. whereas breath of the wild is more like a very very light action rpg in right. terms of you have clothing that has numbers associated with it and you will get better clothing which gives you higher numbers so yeah it's very light in that sense but you could you could argue for it there was um there's a reset era thread that uh, i was looking at recently which is relevant to this email because it's the top 101 reset era voted rpgs of all time and and they do include Breath of the Wild on that list, which is um, I don't necessarily agree with. But you know, you can kind of say <laughs> an RPG is whatever you yeah. want these days, really. You know, and um, I, li- I like Duncan's story that like he thought uh, that Final Fantasy was going to play like Zelda or whatever. Sure, yeah. And, and I know that someone like Dan Riker, a giant bomb, he's, he's famous for saying like he just felt JRPGs, RPGs were completely pointless, this idea that you, right. you didn't you have action-based combat. Exactly. And I think to some extent, I kind of agreed with that a little bit when I was younger. I was never keen on trying games that uh, kind of went away from action. Pokemon was very much um, a standalone in that idea of having a non-action-based mechanic in a game i guess um and stuff like pokemon stadium as well obviously but like i it wasn't really the next jrpg i really played after pokemon and obviously i played lots of pokemon like diamond and pearl was my last kind of um pokemon game i played yeah. generation on generation but actually xenoblade chronicles i want to say right up when that's a hell of we, a job we did this podcast <laughs> exactly um i can't think of one i played between those uh, I, you can count like the Mar- some of the like Mario Tennis on Game Boy Color. That's an RPG, sure. Yeah, R- yeah. I was going to say that because I think those are the ones that you probably got more invested in. But it was more because you were a tennis fan than you were an RPG fan. Right. Like, it just it just so happened that that Mario Tennis game was secretly a RPG in disguise. Exactly. And th- there's obviously a hell of a lot of action involved with that game. Um, totally. Then, yeah. It wasn't until Xenoblade Chronicles, and then it wasn't until like earthbound and then games like uh final fantasy 6 and octopath traveler which i played both of last year um i like it is kind of slim pickings in terms of like the jrpgs i've played and i personally really want to play you know final fantasy 7 uh chrono trigger like these are games i really mean to spend time playing um and i need to try like a dragon quest as well so yeah yeah there's a whole lot i still want to play I'm, i wouldn't say i'm the biggest jrpg fan um but i like things i enjoy most in jrpgs are like a manageable sy- manageable system so i right yeah octopath traveler was so perfect for me in terms of like difficulty and systems like it just really i just absolutely loved it what it, it was i had to engage my brain but it wasn't like 
ramming myself up against a brick wall like it wasn't xenoblade chronicles x levels of minutia right and i really that's a perfect example of a game i i spent about 20 30 hours on and then was just like this is too much i'm just Uh i'm not i just need to step back and realize that i'm not actually having a good time and rather than persevering for more than what's already a very long time um just think actually there's, there's better games that are more suited to my tastes perhaps yeah, fair um, enough. and so that's why i think octopath really fits all my tastes in a way um that i just really really enjoyed and earthbound as well i think that's a quite a simplistic system and just a zany story i think story is a huge aspect but I I can definitely let systems get in the way of a story where I actually thought the Xenoblade Chronicles X story was kind of interesting up until where I was, but those it, mechanics it, were it, just uh, like you just don't finish that game because you'll be unsatisfied yeah. with the way that game ends yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, and I personally found the first the final boss of Xenoblade Chronicles very difficult and um, right. But it's interesting that you pushed through that and you didn't with Kingdom Hearts. Was that more of the that you were kind of invested uh because i think it's only a mistake you make once oh wow <laughs> I okay think, uh i yeah i there was i think zenblade chronicles felt it felt like i could get there and that it was just perseverance whereas kingdom hearts it felt like i was i was never hopeless get there I was, it was hopeless it was absolutely yeah. hopeless it was i mean you can add kingdom hearts now to your list of jrpgs it's an action rpg but it yeah. still comes under yeah. the banner and yeah it it in terms of the the rpg stuff it does i don't rate it but like i said earlier this episode there's some cool like worlds and stories that it tells that i think are really cool um so yeah yeah cool. For for me, it's interesting because I would say that technically Fire Emblem is also a JRPG yeah. in some senses, right? And so I kind of went from Pokemon to Fire Emblem, which was my next big experience. But Fire Emblem is also a very different type of game, and it is it's turn based tactics with RPG. Like it's it's this beautiful combination of the both. So when I'm talking about like traditional RPGs, it really for me wasn't until I guess Dragon Quest Nine was the one where i committed to it and i was like i've heard a lot about this dragon quest series people go crazy about it it's on ds um and it was also like it was my first year of uni i think and i had my laptop and i didn't have a bunch of games with me i had my wii i think and i didn't have that much stuff so i wanted to try a bunch of games and this was when i first started listening to podcasts so i was listening to rfn a lot and stuff and they talked about things like golden sun and dragon quest and final fantasy and i downloaded emulators i was telling you bally we're discussing about um backlog club games potentially and you brought up breath of fire on gba and i'm like yeah i, I remember playing that <laughs> on an emulator in a lecture in an, in an english lecture at, at university and uh not paying attention to what they were saying but playing one of those on gba and, and so stuff like that like i dabbled in golden sun for a bit i dabbled in breath of fire like so i never finished any of these games but i was just checking them out and seeing kind of what they were like oh so you have dabbled in golden sun that's interesting oh yeah i've, I've played maybe five or six hours of the first golden oh. sun i've never finished it i also have played about five or six hours of golden sun dark dawn on ds and have never finished that either but like these were it was when i was talking to nick a lot and we i had an ace card on ds and so i was downloading a fuck ton of roms and like you know just messing around with a bunch of different video games i actually played i downloaded a 
Game Boy emulator for my Ace card, so I could play Game Boy games on my DS. And I did. I messed around with the original Dragon Quest on Game Boy for a while uh, before I went back and eventually played that. So I, I did. I, I was very curious about RPGs around that time. Uh, so I was, I was very much like figuring them out and being like, which one should I commit to? What should I like? And the one that I really did commit to was Dragon Quest Nine. I think Dragon Quest Nine is a perfect jumping in point for that series. It's portable, as Duncan kind of mentioned, like it was the best way to play RPGs. Had a very simple story, really great looking game, and it is as traditional as they come. Dragon Quest is as traditional as a JRPG gets. It is like the blueprint for them. So it was a great introduction to the series. And then after that I was like, okay, I need to I need to find something different. And so I got a PS3, and then my next big experience was Final Fantasy XIII on PlayStation 3, which everyone hates. I get it. People dislike Final Fantasy XIII. I love it. I think it's one of my favorite games. It's just... It, the combat system is, is among my favorite combat systems in video games generally. Like, I just think it is so smart, and and it's one of those things... You know how we talked about with Mario Maker about, like, conveniences for the player, and um, even with Kingdom Hearts, like, the easy mode. Mm. Of, like, what are the modernizations? Like, one of my favorite things that Final Fantasy XIII does is after every battle, it just automatically heals you. There's none of this micromanagement with potions and stuff and, and getting rid of status effects, which I think is a big part of the experience of classic RPGs, where yeah. you're dungeon, dungeon crawling, and especially with Pokemon as well. Oh, I don't have the right cure to this damn thing. That exactly, I right? It, yeah. Like, you're poisoned and you're taking damage everywhere you walk, or one of your Pokemon is paralyzed. Like, the, the traditional dungeon crawl of an RPG, it, this game doesn't really have that but it's because it focuses so heavily on every battle and it says like every battle is going to be a challenge figure it out man like get it done and so it automatically heals you after every fight i just thought that was just a smart innovation that not many games have taken since but like if i was to make a game that's the type of thing i would do um you know so so yeah so it was kind of i I would say my first real modern experiences with rpgs were dragon quest 9 or final fantasy 13 weird places to start i guess for both of those series but games I, I really like um and and then from there it was just like the floodgate started opening and i was like give me all the rpgs and obviously i'm a big fan of persona um and i've played uh, really my my blank spot is western rpgs because the witcher 3 is really the high mark and i haven't played many other is it very numbers based witcher 3 it, yeah i mean it is it's very much an rpg it is but it is also skill based it is much more because it's action focused you can get past bosses that are, have a lot of hp it'll just take a long time you know they'll be a spongy horizon zero dawn's got a ton of numbers as well but that's i mean you can count it's, horizon it's as an weird. rpg to seems, some degree but feels like almost every game now has like a level even like spider-man and you know like it, it's, it's kind of weird yeah yeah but I, I do think horizon it falls more into the rpg okay. trope because there are because you do level up there are statistics you do gain health every time you level and also each equipment thing that you have has numbers associated with it. everything yeah. that you equip to your character every weapon that you use has damaged stuff like but again it, it starts to blur the line and i think horizon is included on that reset era thread oh so, is it right so they do count it as an rpg which is you know it's as however much you want to bend the rules but uh but yeah like i i definitely was a latecomer to the to the genre but i think it is absolutely one of my favorite genres now um i count it among like platformers and stuff as as right up there with my favorite types of video games and and yeah some of my favorite games of all time are rpgs yeah um, so. I, th- I feel you're, you're a bit you're quite 
you're considerably more open-minded about the types of RPGs you can get into, whereas up to sure. me, it needs to... There's certain thing, things and like tick boxes that I think just need ticked, and one of yeah. them is like difficulty and the ability to... <laughs> beat the damn game <laughs> totally and, and and personally i i like rpgs that tend to be easier and and i think yeah. difficulty in rpgs is very weird because to what degree is difficulty grinding and to what degree is difficulty actual skill right yeah. because there are some games in which the difficulty of it and i think this is the case with dragon quest is like you're just not high enough level like you can come up with the greatest tactics of all time but if you're not high enough level you're not doing enough damage to take that down this boss quick enough to survive long enough right so so that's kind of the the balance that gets struck sometimes in in the in these games but then you have games like xenoblade 2 where i think the systems of that game allow you to pull off these moves that do obscene numbers of damage and that's because you are good at the game you're good at pulling off combos and that's kind of why i think that ranks pretty highly in my combat system list is it's all about your own skill with it as much as it is how high level you are um it's kind of a good balance struck there so Mm. so yeah but what about grinding how do you feel about grinding i think we do complain about it from time to time but it it, for me it depends on the game it depends on how much i like the game how much time i like spending in that world you know something like witcher 3 i was really over leveled by the end but that's because the side quest in that game is so fucking good and i want to do everything i just wanted to do everything in the witcher 3 and it was less grinding it was more this stuff is so great that i want to do all of it. yeah i think what you're doing to grind is important um i i'm happy to spend half an hour 45 minutes for every few hours of a jrpg if and i can just grind while listening to podcasts that doesn't bother me too much if that ratio is much more than 45 minutes half an hour for like every few hours then it does get very tedious um i think right and i think that's one of the reasons why final fantasy 6 ranks lower in my super nintendo rpg ranking is the end of that game is like hey man spend four hours grinding because yeah and you have so many characters and like they need to be a certain level yeah whereas you have something like earthbound and chrono trigger which way better in terms of their pacing and there's really no need to grind in either of those games yeah and like i was very glad that final fantasy 6 has that um glitch oh yeah it it has an exploit which is i i love having an exploit that you can just level crazily on that yeah that's always good and it's not ideal that you use an exploit to make a weak part of the game better but it's better than it not being there if that makes oh totally sense. Like, yeah um, yeah yeah but i agree that earthbound was an incredibly like slick slickly paced game in the sense that there's just almost well there is no grinding really you can just play right through that and if you've got the right items i remember going to in in on it i think or maybe tucson where i was grinding a little bit on like the skateboarder guys like i, I remember going back and forth to my house a little bit and healing but that was maybe i don't know 25 minutes out of a game that is 20 hours long you know um yeah it's a bit so. longer than 20 hours uh, it's 30-ish <laughs> yeah yeah 30-ish yeah or so. uh yeah and no, I, I think octopath had its issues with grinding and we've talked about before like leveling up all eight party members and ultimately if you want to beat all the stories you need to level up all eight party members and i actually think that seeing all eight stories is like a part of the game i enjoyed but having to level them all up was less fun definitely um and yeah i mean that's kind of the difference here right is there wasn't 
a big end game thing for Octopath Traveler, so I just gave up and couldn't care about it. Whereas with Final Fantasy, I mean, there's post game, but it's not main. Right, game, but like yeah. Octopath Traveler, there's no overarching story. Whereas Final Fantasy VI, like this is the there is. <sighs> okay, there is an overarching story. It's bullshit because they never talk about it ever. <laughs> And then the last boss fight. Well, they do. They do. It's like it's linked up. It, it, oh, but explicitly. that's that's so that's so like fucking nothing. That's like that's not a narrative. That's just like I, I linked. We've together. talked about this before, and we have to agree to disagree. But I do think that it is um, the the eight stories do link up in a satisfying way. It's just not, I it, uh, what, the the level the level you are required to to do that end game post-game stuff um was just too much for me but i do i i disagree that i I actually do think it is a narratively a cool thing for the eight stories to come together right but like my comparison is final fantasy 6 which is a huge scope of a narrative with all these characters interacting and all of these things mattering that's a much better way of a large number of characters meeting a final big bad i completely agree yeah exactly right which is why i was incentivized also obviously we're doing it for a backlog club so i had to beat it but like i I wanted to grind i wanted to grind to finish final fantasy 6 versus i did four of the stories in octopath and then just kind of said "Ah, i'm done you know because i wasn't really that invested in yeah. the in the endings of these other characters um and the stories that far hadn't been incredible uh so so that's kind of why i gave up there so again like that's that's a great example of where grinding in one game i'm incentivized to whereas in the other i'm just like nah i'm done thank you um and yeah that's that's kind of that i guess but what are, what are some of the big rpgs that are still on your hit list that you want to get to Oof. um because uh, for me i've played a lot of the big ones i think for me now it's more about going for kind of the the more niche ones like the suikoden series which is gets brought up all the time or for me it's a lot about going through and playing some more western rpgs whether it be stuff like divinity or or pillars of eternity or, or classics like that i think that's my next frontier in terms of rpg yeah. playing but i think you're probably still in like i mean there the are still of... huge tentpoles i need to play yeah there's some big classics um, that you want to get to final fantasy 7 chrono trigger i actually own chrono trigger on ds um i bought it from a listener so thank you very much for that um um, and yeah final fantasy 7 i think i should play persona 5 on my ps4 yeah uh, those are the next two i mean which are three we've counted that as an rpg in line with this yeah i mean it is yeah i think the thing is like when we talk about rpgs and being a nintendo podcast we tend towards japanese ones yeah far more i do personally but uh but like there's a whole world of western rpgs out there and um i want i think that is my next thing i need to really invest in is like trying some of those but for me a lot of the major ones things like uh i mean skyrim's a huge one actually skyrim's a huge one that i'm i love i think skyrim's fantastic but stuff like fallout is just aesthetically so far from anything i care about that i just don't care about the fallout series in any way um but yeah and i think that's the thing is for me aesthetically western rpgs tend to be a bit more drab uh so that's why i tend towards the brightness and the color of of japanese games more yeah yeah so i think we both got a lot still to play yeah definitely but no that was fun to kind of think about like i really had to think about like what what was the first rpg i really invested in and got into that wasn't like when i was younger and, and just playing pokemon or fire emblem or whatever and to some degree there was like some like game boy games and stuff i might have played that were secretly rpgs that i've forgotten about but uh but i I feel like in in the modern age of me playing video games it is but you know i owned an original playstation but i never played final fantasy 7 i never played Mm. 
the big rpgs of that system and that system was held up back in the day as like the golden era it was like super nintendo and playstation one was the golden era of rpgs and there are so many of those i want to go back to like xeno gears is a huge one people love xeno gears and obviously that's a monolith soft game uh, one of the first xeno games they ever made and also the other final fantasies on playstation so final fantasy 9 which is now on switch which i desperately want to get to at some point um yeah there's obviously my my goal in life is to to play every dragon quest and every final fantasy which i'm closer on the dragon quest front i've got four more dragon quests to play um than final fantasy but i'll get there with both of them it is it is my my cause and i will get there so nice yeah so our next question is from kevin s from discord Hello, Bally and Zed. I've been looking at the games I've been playing recently and noticed a bit of an interesting trend. When I play Western AAA games, I tend to play them for the story. I love swinging swinging in Spider-Man, but what kept me going was the excellent story and characters in that game. And that style of game, uh, the same can be said for Uncharted, Infamous, Horizon Zero Dawn, Red Dead, Batman, Arkham, uh, God of War, Mass Effect, Wolfenstein, Bioshock, Assassin's Creed, Red Dead, and the list goes on uh, to the far end of the spectrum of the Telltale-esque games that are almost completely story. In stark contrast, when I play Japanese AAA games, I almost always play them f- uh, more for the fun, responsive, and challenging gameplay experience first and foremost. Resident Evil, Devil May Cry, Mario, Zelda, Metroid, Donkey Kong, Dark Souls, etc. There's obvious exceptions to this rule, but I feel like Japanese game development stuck to a philosophy dating back to the NES days of make the game fun first and foremost and make the primary focus uh, of the experience. Whereas Western games tend to be much more based on making a narrative first and making gameplay centered around that, the end result is that you have games like Red Dead that have ultra-realistic graphics and physics with hours and hours of amazingly written cutscenes and dialogue but don't feel good to control on one extreme end. On the polar opposite, you have games like Bloodborne that have almost no direct story but focus on ultra-tight controls and a punishing yet rewarding, challenging gameplay experience. There's also the parallel that most indie developers of games we uh, play tend to be from Western studios and they usually go along with the Japanese philosophy. It's more feasible to make a fun game than an ultra-realistic game on a budget. What are your thoughts? Which do you prefer? I've come to realize I really prefer the Japanese approach. I'm having the most fun in a video game when it's fun to play. Though I do love Western games as well for completely different reasons. Okay. Big topic, I think, and uh, very interesting one. I think it's really interesting he brings up the point of most independent games Mm. are from Western studios, but they are all very Japanese-influenced, right? Like, you take a look at the biggest successes in in independent games, and almost all of them have analogs to classic Nintendo NES or Super Nintendo-era franchises. Like, Shovel Knight is the biggest example of that. And, And then you also have games like Celeste, where it it does tend towards like classic platforming but it's also trying to do the western thing more often now which is like build in a narrative that is meaningful and and Mm. makes sense with with the story which i think we're kind of starting to tend towards a bit more right um and it, it does depend right because then you also have the other side of the coin which is western indies which are more influenced by western narrative development so games like night in the woods or oxen free that come out of the telltale model that kind of has been popularized uh so yeah i I think as a podcast generally we tend towards japanese games just because being nintendo fans like those are the games that we respond to the most but i do think that 
you probably like a good narrative in a game more than i do and i think that as people i tend towards more mechanics and you tend towards more story though we both place importance on both yeah definitely yeah no i and like i think for me stories in games are still feeling quite big and fresh and new in a sense that i have bought a ps4 fairly recently there aren't a ton of story driven experiences on well there are now with the switch but talking about the wii u era and before i think the number of narrative driven games on purely nintendo systems which is what i traditionally owned were fairly slim by and large um so i think that having now played owned a ps4 and played games like spider-man like god of war where it is really about and I, see spider-man and god of war are really interesting because i think they are because as, i think they're both amazing they are amazing video games. at both and yeah. i think that that red dead 2 playing that after spider-man and god of war really kind of shocked me where i was like oh god this feels awful like this feels like i thought i i don't know why i assumed and i probably hadn't done enough reading into it i just assumed red dead 2 would feel as smooth as these other games and have an incredible cowboy narrative over the top and it just didn't have that base level gameplay in a way that i was exactly and i think that's because rockstar rockstar tends towards one end of the spectrum like they are very much in the extreme of we want this to embody everything about the feel and the tone and everything and that's right down to the gameplay systems themselves which feel as lethargic and almost hopeless as a lot of the kind of narrative tones of the game right yeah Um, when you are in the mountains looking for john marston at the start of that game it feels like you are fucking trudging through a snowstorm yeah and great that's great for the narrative uh like lack of the dis like there is there's a lack of dissonance there because what you are playing is so in tune with what the story is is telling you and yet video games are also this thing that we play because we want to feel a sense of empowerment and a a sense that we're not just a human trudging through snow you know uh so for me it is that weird balance and I, i think as someone who personally tends towards the japanese model of gameplay first and foremost it made me frustrated faster because of that yeah and i i i I agree i tend to more story more so than you perhaps but i would still definitely go for the gameplay above all else in a sense and i actually think as we've said spider-man and god of war are fantastic examples i throw in although it leans far more towards the japanese style throw in breath of the wild in a sense that it does have a lot more western aspects in it than a traditional nintendo game might have and i actually sure think, it's the first time they put voice acting well, in Zelda exactly game. and i think spider-man god of war and breath of the wild are three of my favorite games of all time and sure. are still like doing both of those aspects incredibly well um and, right but but also you can compare breath of the wild more to bloodborne like he talks about how bloodborne doesn't tell an explicit narrative but it's more about like figuring things out through law and through things that are not like di- no direct story right yeah and breath of the wild does that really well because there are so many areas in breath of the wild like you think about the guardian field of just all the dead guardians and it's like it evokes a feeling mm. and it, it, it evokes Definitely. a history and it evokes a law but it doesn't necessarily come from a, a narrative like direct narrative it comes from your own self-discovery through the gameplay in a way that isn't just right so it, it, to some degree it, it makes narrative gameplay yeah. right um yeah in a weird way and and there's there's less of that but 
but yeah it's it's interesting the, the games that he lists because some of them i pick out that lineup and i'm like okay that one i play because i like the story that one i actually play because like infamous for example is a game that to be honest with you i don't think it has a very good story like it's fine like it's very comic booky it's kind of schmaltzy and like the characters are not super deep but infamous is a game that i play for the fucking gameplay because that game is all about zipping around and sliding on you know electrical wires and like hovering and that game feels great to play it's a really fun open world environment to explore and just run around in uh but it is also in the style of a western open world game so it does have a narrative but for me like games like wolfenstein is the opposite where wolfenstein i put it on the easiest possible difficulty just kill all the nazis but i'm there to watch the ridiculous cutscenes and see the crazy things that they do with that story so so it does it balances out like some some of these games as you mentioned with god of war spider-man they they are the kind of rare exception where they perfect it on both ends yeah but but most of the time a western AAA game for me either goes one of two ways and sometimes it goes neither way in the case of horizon zero dawn where i was underwhelmed by both aspects you know <laughs> see i would see i i really enjoyed uh horizon zero dawn's narrative but i can appreciate that gameplay wise it is nothing like a silky smooth as a spider-man or a god of war like i i I'm and I'm interested to see what Jedi Fallen Order is like in me- melding these two ideas together. Where I'm hoping that it is going to have a strong narrative, it is going to have that strong story, but still feel like you know the Dark Souls Bloodborne style combat that that game's Sekiro style, I guess as well that that game's hinting towards, and whether it can st- stand kind of on that pedestal up with Spider Man and God of War, where I just think those games just hit it out of the park um and kind of having god of war being my first ever ps4 experience just has really spoiled me on what i oh, expect yeah. now from oh, what yeah. like that game is just incredible and um it's now a high high bar that i think the whole industry is now trying to meet with a lot of games like a jedi Order later this year so we'll see yeah for sure and you know I, i'm excited about that and i think hopefully it will be good but for me, the thing that excites me about what they're saying is it's, le- it's it's weird, right? Because we're huge Star Wars fans and we just love the Star Wars universe, mm. all that stuff. But the thing that excites me more about Jedi Fallen Order is the fact that they're saying it's a Metroid game more than it being a Star Wars game. Like, th- I'm buying it probably because it's a Star Wars game, but the reason I'm excited about it now is, like, they've said it's Metroid. And I'm like, okay, all right, you have my attention now, right? Um, so on, on that side of things, it it does tell me that despite the fact that a lot of these western games the main draw is maybe the narrative for me it's still it still has to have a gameplay hook to it that gets me invested because otherwise i'm I'm gonna check out um just like i did with red dead like i beat that game but like i was so far beyond even wanting to play it by yeah. the end i i was um, i had a real journey with that game personally where yeah the start is so slow and flat out just bad in the way where the narrative's not even saving it and then for me the narrative just really accelerated later in that game and i yeah. really, really loved the game in the end but it was a it was too long of a journey definitely in comparison to those you know spider-man god of war that we've talked about like right. getting it right but it but it does say things like um when you talk about critical responses to games and how i think a bad story can really hold the game back right and i think that you do see that sometimes reflected in review scores of of certain western games that get released but uh, the uh, the opposite yeah because they're ex- you're expected to have a good story if you're going for that style of triple a totally. western 
narrow like if horizon 2 has a horrendous story which i'm i'm assuming you're you're thinking it will <laughs> like well, it will it's get taste but sure sure it it will get panned i feel even if the gameplay is a massive step up for example because i think totally. people are now expecting a certain level of development on the narrative told in that first game it's the same right. with god of war and spider-man to be honest i mean it's, it's what you see with the telltale style of game right if if the game is poorly written if it doesn't have a satisfying arc if it's not well realized like the example i go to is the game of thrones telltale game which i was excited about they had all the actors in blah 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 that yeah. game is just not very good it's not mm. and, and, it, and it's not because the game part is bad because there really isn't much of a game part to it that's the nature of telltale's yeah. stuff is that it's it's all choosing dialogue from a menu so it's it's as much of a game as it is like a choose your own adventure style book right so in that case it hinges completely on whether the story is good or not and the opposite is interesting because then you also have games like mario odyssey which has no story it it has a framework of a base of a potential foundation for perhaps an inch of a story like it's it's less than a children's storybook is mario odyssey like you can tell that entire story in about three pages of a children's book right yes and yet it's a game that scores 97 on metacritic and that fundamentally tells me that still in this age where we are tending towards more hollywood style action experiences where cinematics and things are the budgets are just, are getting bigger and bigger budgets are getting bigger everything is getting more expensive when it really comes down to it if you make a game that's just a really fucking good video game that you can play and enjoy and brings a smile to your face you don't need that like you just don't um which is interesting right because nintendo's entire ethos is built around what is a fun gameplay experience first and foremost then we'll figure out the rest then we'll build something around it we'll figure out what the story can be and and, and all of that nonsense but it is first and foremost how does this play what what experience can we get from this yeah Um, and in line with this question i had huge like tribalism towards the idea that god of war beat red dead 2 at kind of the game a lot of the different (laughs) game awards i was like come on gameplay first and foremost here we go and obviously i wanted celeste to win but i knew that was going to be difficult it's a long but, shot yeah but and it is frustrating when you do see those scores like for a game like red dead 2 being as high and often higher than a game like god of war when I, we've just agreed that like one gets the gameplay so right where the other one flops massively in our view and like right well but but that's the thing right but but if you talk about both those games mario odyssey and red dead redemption are perfect examples of the opposite ends of the spectrum in one case the developer has first and foremost prioritized the player experience and the gameplay and the joy and the fun of control on the other end the uh, gameplay experience has been shoved to the side and the narrative has been given the full thrust that is the thing to focus on that is the time and investment and effort and so we have these two completely opposite experiences but they both completely nail that one thing i would argue a lack of a narrative holds back um mario odyssey less than a lack of good gameplay holds back red dead 2 personally and i agree i agree with that but what i'm saying is from a critical perspective when you talk about yeah it's a shame that that difference isn't reflected in our review score totally yeah yeah um the the fact that red dead pretty much got tens across the board i i don't know what that says about the people who were potentially reviewing <laughs> Does that, that mean game, when but... if red dead 3 whatever that is if that if 
if that ever is a thing if somehow miraculously rockstar reinvent their control system and that game controls well, well. no I, I don't think so because all i heard about gta 5 was positive stuff right i never heard anyone complain about the control in gta 5 and yet i went and played some gta 5 prior to even playing red dead and i'm like boy well this doesn't this doesn't feel good this feels this feels bad yeah. i don't want to play gta 5 anymore i've had gta 5 on my steam wish list for years and years and i have zero intention of playing it anymore and maybe it's because i think the shift happened around the playstation 3 generation where rockstar wanted to get more serious and they wanted to tend away from kind of the silly goofiness of some of the earlier gta games because i remember playing gta 3 on ps2 and i didn't have any problems with the controls there it was it was more arcadey i guess in its feel and it felt better to run around and blow things up and just like drive shit whereas gta 4 they started to lean into this this realism thing that they've been going for and it means that the experience of actually playing the game becomes for me a bit of a chore uh and i i don't think they're like it's very much a deliberate choice from them as a studio um it's yeah it's the polar opposite because like i don't think there's really been a better controlling player character than mario in, in mario odyssey in terms of the tool yeah. set the movement yeah like it feels perfect mm. um and so i think it's very interesting to directly compare those two games because they are one is a western studio one's a japanese studio one is so story one is so gameplay and they both scored 97 on metacritic um yeah i just I, I just think that's a very interesting thing to observe in our modern era of video games and and, and how they work and everything but um but yeah to, to wrap it up i guess i obviously prefer the japanese approach and i think that we are we're in we're in kind of a renaissance period for the japanese games industry i think nintendo didn't really fall into the trap that a lot of game developers did during the ps3 generation i think like last generation especially western developers became much more of a focus because japan couldn't handle hd development and like a lot of the stuff they put out wasn't great during that period of time whereas now we're really seeing like the rise of again of capcom and um you know things like dark souls have come into vogue and and japan is like kind of back almost in a way that is exciting again because it feels like those types of experiences are influencing western games now and like we're getting i think a bit more of a cross-pollination across all these types of video games Definitely, yeah. um which is just good for everything i think so absolutely great right. all right well that's what we've got that's all the time we have for emails yeah um that uh, email address again is this nintendo life at gmail.com that's this nintendo life at gmail.com please send them in uh, or leave a post on our discord server over on our twitter account and in the description of this here podcast um mbz yes we've got an announcement yeah i guess so we're uh, doing another backlog club the time has come uh, and we know that it's a busy season for nintendo games so we've kind of gone in a direction bally brought this idea up of uh, it's more shorter experiences but also kind of invest as much time in them as, as you want to um do you want to tell people what our theme is for this sure. poll for our next backlog club so all three of these games are nintendo 64 and they're all available on the wii u eShop. Uh, that good old thing that we we go back to every now uh-huh. and then we've gone for a racing theme so we've not talked about racing games a ton on this podcast uh back in the day i used to love games like wave race and f-zero but uh these are on the gamecube obviously so the racing games we've got for this n64 backlog club the three nominees are wave race 64 excite bike 64 and f-zero x and i should be clear neither of us have played 
any of these games. No. I've played a couple of the equivalent games on GameCube with Wave Race, Blue Storm, and F Zero GX. Had a great time with both of those games. Uh, uh, we both played like the spiritual Excite successor, which is Excite Truck. We both played Excite Truck. Wii. Uh, I've played the original Excite Bike back on the 3DS. Yeah, and 3D. yeah I played some of that as well. For uh, sure. But we've not played Excite Bike 64. So yeah, this is going to be a poll open until when we're going to open it until MBZ. Uh We'll give it, you know. Uh, maybe after next episode we'll give you one more chance to vote and then yeah. we'll, we'll get it started so um, this is open for voting uh to all patrons uh we currently have 20 patrons so all 20 yeah. of you are welcome to vote on which game you would like us to play in this backlog yep. club and, and that's one dollar and up patrons so yeah one, if you want to head dollar. over there and, and have a vote and then get your choice then you can go and uh, become a patron over on our patreon which is patreon.com slash this nintendo life uh, and uh, yeah, Bali, we have people to thank for our Patreon and stuff. Yes, thank you to our two $10 tier patrons. They are my fiance Caroline and Atari Alex. Thank you for your support. And thank you to all of our other 18 patrons um, that I mentioned. And I uh, hope you have good fun voting on this one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so head over to there. Tell us what you think Excite Bike or Wave Race or F Zero, all N64, hopefully. And then my, I was using my gamepad, Bally, and I feel like I need to hold it every time in the charger because it's going to die otherwise. But um, I'm looking forward to playing some of those handheld, kind of, uh, as well. So Yeah, be, just plug in that Wii U and then just play with the gamepad across the room. Yeah. And obviously, if you own an N64, you want to play the original versions, I mean, go ahead. We're not stopping you. Just any, any way you get access to these games, play along, and then we'll have a, a chat for the winner in our Discord and stuff like that. And also, you can email us in thoughts uh, when that goes out cool um yeah we can be found in lots of places as well you can find us on twitter uh, our twitter account is at tnl podcast you can follow us there for updates on things like this like links to voting in the patron poll and stuff like that and you can follow us individually you can find me at lord nbz where can they find you bally i'm on twitter at ballyman91 b-a-l-l-y-m-a-n-9-1 um not been doing a ton recently just been busy with them kingdom hearts oh yeah figuring oh. out the meaning of life in kingdom yeah. hearts oh, God. um great uh you can find the show in lots of different places we're all over the place now we're on spotify we are on tune in so you can find us through your alexa we are on itunes obviously and stitcher and uh, any good podcasting app that you have you can download us on feel free to review us we keep saying this uh, but i think it is important to make note of like you know reviews are important and they make people find the show and then people are like oh this seems like an okay show. I'll listen to it and uh, then we get more listeners and it's and a fun you, time. if you've stuck around since E3, thank you for sticking around. Like this is oh, our absolutely. first yeah, if you found us post, post E3 show. So hope hope you found us enjoyable and yeah. want to listen to more. Absolutely. That would be great. Um, fantastic. Well, I uh, think that's pretty much it, uh, Bali. Any, anything that we need to think about? I mean... Mario Maker this month, Fire Emblem's closing in. Like it's, it's pretty soon that we're going to be talking about I, Fire Emblem on this show. I should be clear. I have I have a document where I have to like plan out what games I'm going to be playing in the I rest know. of 2019. It's, <laughs> it's come to funny. this. Uh, Backloggery is not quite good. Not quite cutting it anymore. <laughs> I need an actual document where I say, right, I'm going to play this, and then I'm going to play this. So, yeah, it's it's a bit crazy, but it's it's all fun. It's it's a it's a nice problem to have. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah, for sure. It is. It's, it's a good thing. Um, great. Well, that is going to close us out. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with another podcast. Till then, thank you. See you.
See you then. Bye-bye. interlude used on today's show was the night version of the title screen from Super Mario Maker 2, copyright Nintendo 2019. Uh, and our first email this and week... what is that email address? I said the email address before. Did you? Yeah, this Nintendo Life uh, at gmail.com. Yeah. This Nintendo Life <laughs> at gmail.com, MBZ. I'm surprised <laughs> you missed it. Jeez, right. Okay, well, right, just, I'll, that's fine. I thought, I thought you missed it. I definitely said. Okay, good. I'm really paying check attention. Check the tape. I'm, check I'm the tape. I'll check the tape. All right. I nominate okay. MBZ to check the tape, okay. and you're probably going to post like, "Yep, MBZ was right. Okay. Bally never said it." Right. So, okay. Smart ass MBZ coming in the future. Okay. Here we go. <laughs>